the best things that I hear and that I learn about fans and just people who have listened to our music or seen us perform is whenever we're able to inspire someone else. And whether that means a kid who they see us and they're inspired then to become something. That's probably the most rewarding thing to learn and to hear from people. At the end of the day, that's probably what drives us the most is hearing how we've inspired other people to get out and follow their dreams. Adam Rupp was following his dreams when he and his brother Chris founded the vocal band Home Free 20 years ago. But even in his wildest dreams, Adam had no idea where the path would lead him and his bandmates. There were years of struggle, followed by modest success, and then preparedness met opportunity for Home Free in 2013 when they won first place in the reality TV competition, The Sing-Off. This win opened doors, which have led Home Free to international recognition and remarkable success. Adam Rupp has been the singular mainstay in the band from its inception to today. He shares stories and lessons from his experience in this fun and interesting conversation. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. All right. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I am fired up. We have a very special episode today. Something different. We have something different for you today. We have Adam Rupp of the vocal band Home Free as our guest on the podcast today. And uh, Adam is a vocal percussionist. Not only is he a vocal percussionist, he is truly one of the finest, most amazing, most accomplished vocal percussionists in the world. And he is a founding member of Home Free, a very successful acapella band. Among other things, Home Free has had multiple albums over the last few years that have debuted at the top of the Billboard music charts. They have over 360 million views of their YouTube videos, and they have played sold-out shows around the world. They won the sing-off back in 2013 a reality TV show that we can talk a little bit about today. And Adam is a founding member. He is the founding member and a star of the band. He sold Cutco from 2001 to 2003 in Minnesota. But we got a lot to talk about. Really excited to have Adam Rupp on the podcast today. Thanks for making time for the podcast, Adam. 
that was a lot of praise there. I, I, I don't think I can live up to those expectations, man. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We're, we'll see. We're going to try to make it live up to that. So and we've got J. Brad Britton as a guest on the podcast today as well, who is a home free super fan. Both Brad and I go way back to being fans of Home Free from when you guys were on the sing-off in 2013. And I know we've both seen you live on multiple occasions, including just recently, uh, a few months ago in Buffalo, New York, we went out and saw Home Free perform live and met Adam at the show. So yes, yeah, really excited to have you here, Adam. Now, I want to get into this whole concept of vocal percussion and how you got into it, because it's it, it really strikes me as like an interesting genre, interesting, you know, part of music. And I, I'm, I'm curious how you started doing this. Yeah, it's bizarre. I think that's the best word to describe it. Well, first off, I mean, I don't call it vocal percussion. It's just better to say beatboxing if you think about the origins of what it is. Vocal percussion is like the fancy way to try to say it, but honestly, everyone just says a beatboxer or calls it beatboxing. Unless, you know, you're out of touch and wish you could say bebopping, then we just don't need to go there. Anyway, so the group started in 2000, and that was like right before I started selling Cutco, actually. But when we started the group, we knew if we were going to be a contemporary group that we had to have beatboxing in the group. And so I just took it upon myself to start learning how to do the sounds, how to do all the techniques and how to make music with it. And that it was just born out of necessity, honestly. Yeah. Well, so, so you, you started the group and, and previous to that, you played musical instruments, you were a singer, yeah. you did other things like that. Uh, but you decided you were going to be the guy that took on and learned this and you're, you're basically self-taught in this area? Yeah, as is pretty much most beatboxers, it's such a niche thing, and it's so hard. If you're not in an urban center that has a lot of beatboxing in it, it's hard to find resources. So you kind of have to teach yourself based on just videos. Now, when I had to learn it, there wasn't YouTube yet, and I actually had to grab a VHS tape that was an instructional tape that taught the basics of how to make <laughs> some of the sounds. Yeah, dating myself there with VHS. <laughs> <laughs> but nowadays i mean it's it's youtube and every there's just so much resources out there but everyone's like explaining how to do this sound and how to do that and, and that's basically you know how you have to learn is you'd have to do a lot of experimentation a lot of trial and error and just listening to yourself and if you're lucky enough and you're able to go to any of these beatboxing conventions or competition things and just to meet other beatboxers is tremendous it's a really good way to to learn how to do it and learn how to work your sound. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Tell us about the beginnings of the band and some of the early history of the band. Sure. So the band Home Free started in 2000 at a church talent show. And we sang Pretty Woman to the pastor's wife in the talent show. And it was, boy, man, you're never going to see the video. There is a video of it, but you're never going to see it because we <laughs> did not know what we were doing. It was, it was pretty embarrassing. But when we started the group, we just wanted to perform. You know, we were trying to be like the acapella group, Rockapella, that was, you know, from the 90s that did Where in the World is Carmen San Diego, if you remember that TV show. And we just wanted to perform. And for the first seven years of the band, it was just a hobby where we were literally going through every trial and adversity that you could think of to get to a point where we could actually start making money doing what we were doing. So and that when I think about it, that's a long time when you think of like how much you have to like figure out and how to do this business and how to you know, it's not just 
performing, but it's just everything else outside of that business-wise that we had to figure out and put a show together. And after the first seven years, we got our first gig on a cruise ship that we then went on a cruise ship and we got to hone our craft on the cruise ship because we were performing all the time. And then after that, we got into other markets. We got with agents and it just slowly built and built and built. And actually two years before the sing-off in 2013, we actually were a full-time group already supporting families, didn't have to have a second job or anything. We were completely booked through the whole year with gigs and, and other stuff. So when we did the sing-off in 2013, we kind of came in with a bit of a advantage being a professional group that already knew how to put songs together and how to you know make stuff happen. And then when the sing-off happened, it just blew up and we next level started like overnight became an international group because we had people from all over the world watching us at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So seven years of going through this as sort of a hobby, trying to make things happen, put it together shows a lot of persistence and and it's awesome to see that that effort has paid off for you guys. It's so great to see the success you're having now. Can you give us a little taste of what uh, of your beatboxing and just sure. uh, what it's like? We'd love to get a little two to three minutes solo. For those of you listening, everything you're about to hear comes purely from Adam's own voice with a microphone. So take it away for a couple minutes, Adam. <laughs> You know what you want to do, what you want to do. What else you want to do? That was great. That was awesome. Just totally awesome. I love it. I've been showing people your seven minute long rendition on YouTube for a long time now. And just every time I sit there watching, I'm transfixed at how amazing it is that you can actually do those things with just your mouth with no, 
no instrumentation or anything. It's uh, it's really I tend to do those things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of times something I'll, just kind of pops out, and you just, you just know what happens. I'll say one of my favorite things to do is to take someone to one of your concerts who doesn't really know what they're getting into, and watch them when you do your drum solo because you, especially in, a, in the earlier concerts, you would do a drum solo and you like actually be pretending that you're playing the drums and with the face and the foot and everything, but you're doing it all vocally and i just like to watch other people's mouths drop to the floor as they're watching you do that for the first time it's pretty awesome sure yeah my air drumming skills are uh unique (laughs) i had to learn the basics of where the drum set trap set is and just try to pretend that you know because if i if i'm like hidden like where the snare drum is and i'm doing some other sound it just doesn't work at all but it's uh it's silly it's just Yeah. It's really cool, Adam. And and I can honestly say watching you guys perform, I have this huge smile on my face for the entire, you know, couple hours that you guys are up there. And it really is great. Really. I I really enjoy it. So as you went through these seven years of trying to build the band and you're, you're figuring out how to make it work, you had to earn some money. And one of the ways you earned some money was you ventured into the Cutco office in uh, Mankato, Minnesota Mm -hmm. in 2001, right? Yep. Tell us, tell us about how you got started uh, selling knives. All right. Well, I was working at Wendy's the summer before, and that was just for a summer job. And then I went to my first year of school. And then when I came back home after my first year of school, I was looking for a job, and I I just saw the ad in the newspaper, and I thought, okay, well, I'll check it out. And that's when I got the whole presentation and thought, okay, well, I'll give it a shot. And yeah, I just uh, started following the instructions essentially i mean everything is so laid out for you you just have to basically show up and and just kind of do what they say and and if you just you know trust the system then it worked out in my favor i don't mean does it work for everyone but yeah i i found i would say moderate success doing it there was a lot of people in town that i knew and that my family knew so i had a lot of referrals already this is like 17 years ago so i don't even know what the system is now or how it's changed but yeah, that's that's kind of how I got started. And I became the manager the third year I was doing it. And it was a lot of fun. Learned a lot of stuff, uh, just about selling, just about people in general that certainly helped just grow as a person, uh, just not just with business knowledge, but just as a person. And, you know, just kind of learning things about the world, essentially. Well, at Vector Marketing, we recruit, you know, a lot of young people every year that are in situations similar to where you were that, uh, you know, had a previous job that maybe wasn't so great. I worked in a movie theater, uh, you know, yeah. the summer, summer before I came to this. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, give people a chance to get real world experience and learn some things and earn some money along the way. So it's cool that, uh, that you were able to take advantage of that for that time. And, th- and even that you got up to the, you know, being in, in an assistant manager role, mm-hmm. um, in the, you know, as you were getting down toward the tail end of that, uh, uh, it's pretty cool to hear that. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff like what really helps, I think, is that the, the fact that the product itself, like the, the knives themselves, there's just no comparison else out there. And so I really like, it's easy to buy into the product itself and have just, just knowing that it's the best thing, you know, when they the designed the knives with the, the double D edge and when they, the, the handle and all this stuff and they put patents on it to make sure that it's just, you know, them that can sell it. It's just, it's good knowing that this thing that you're selling really is the best quality that you could possibly get out there. 
and that it's that will actually last you the entire life like you're not selling something that you have any sort of like guilt trying to like push something on a, a person like it's you're giving them something that is truly what it is advertised to be so that's really that was really helpful and really nice and one of the things that definitely had a lot of pride in what i was doing yeah well it's great to hear you know and, and we appreciate hearing that now years later that uh, that you felt that way i'm sure that uh, that makes a difference so very cool so let's move forward to 2013 yeah and you guys you guys are you, so you've been working professionally for about two years you said and i know you, you mentioned you've been on you had a tour on cruise ships i know you met austin mm-hmm. brown on a cruise ship who, uh, you know, kind of became your sort of lead singer. Tim Faust was already in the band by this point. And you guys apply for the sing-off. And as I understand, you're selected for the sing-off because you guys are different than everybody else that's applying for the sing-off. You kind of brought a, a new thing that wasn't offered on the sing-off. And the sing-off is an acapella singing competition. There's 10 or 15 bands that start out the start of the season. It kind of narrows down to one group being selected as the winners and they win some dollars along with a Sony recording contract. So, and it was all televised, uh, you know, each week uh, as a, as the competition went along. So tell us about, uh, what was that experience like as you're going through those eight or 10 weeks of, uh, of that experience? Um, man, I, I tell you, it's, it's the most rewarding experience we've ever done. And it's something we would never, ever, ever do again. <laughs> <laughs> tell us why. Yeah. Well, these reality shows, I mean, they push you to the absolute physical and mental limit that you can handle. Uh, And you actually sign a contract going into it that states that specifically that you are going to be pushed to those limits and probably then further beyond that because every single minute is a lot of money to these shows. And so you have what they're called wranglers with you 24 7 essentially i mean when you're in your hotel room you're by yourself of course but any other time it's like there's always wranglers around to make sure that you are where you're supposed to be and that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing so it's just kind of this non-stop pressure non-stop push through the entire taping what was the time frame on the taping like how long did the taping take from beginning of the season Mm -hmm. to the end it was every week, so you would you would have to learn three new songs, not just learn, but you know you'd have to arrange a new song every week, and then the group number, and then also the battle songs, which are the you know whoever lost in every in whatever episode, you'd have to duke it out with another group, and it's it was called a sing off, right? And uh, so every we had it was a week between tapings, but the actual day of taping was an all day event. Like you arrive at eight in the morning, you don't start taping until maybe like two in the afternoon, kind of around there. But then it would go for like ten to twelve hours. So it was you know eight in the morning until twelve at night on the tape days, where you're li- they're literally just filming all these different things. It was a grueling experience, and you know they try so hard. The producers they tried so hard to create stories and story arcs for every band because they mm-hmm. have, you know, that's the whole point is that you have to tell the journey of each artist and for us because we're we were seasoned already at that point that there wasn't like 
let's just say they had to make up a lot of stuff. And that's a really one important lesson right there is reality shows aren't really reality. You're still being, stories are being put together and presented to you. One of the coolest things about the sing-off is that there was a really strong brotherhood and sense of community with all the contestants. And it wasn't really a competition. And that was always a challenge with the producers and directors because they're trying to create competition so that for viewers, they get into it because they think that they're duking it. Right. But that, honestly, that was never, ever the case. It was always everyone is there to support each other. And it turned into more of a all the artists against everyone else that works for the show. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 It's just cool to hear some of the inside stories. They, they had to embellish a little bit of like your guy's story to create this story arc throughout the, the weeks of the, uh, yeah. Of and the, oh, uh, it's, it's, anno- it's annoying because we have fans that come to our VIP experiences and they'll ask questions every now and again about things that they saw on the show as if it's, they somehow know inside information about us and we just look at them like, no, none of that is true. <laughs> don't, don't, you don't need to ask us that question because it's not true. Next question. you know. So that kind of keeps recurring and we always have to explain to people the uh, truth behind it. Yeah. And Brad, did you get to go to a recording of a season of Sing Off? Uh, yeah, actually we did. I, I won't take long, but I'll comment on that. For, from the perspective of watching as a fan on the, on the television shows, you guys, I had a previous uh, contact with voice play. I mean, I'd seen them before and yes. met those guys, and they were, my awesome. fa- they were my favorites going into it, right? And I love, by the way, when you guys uh, do their rendition of Elvira. Yeah. You guys uh, rock that. But uh, So that's who I was rooting for. But I'll tell you, you guys won people, my family, because I would rush home on Mondays to make sure I was home to watch the Zing-Off for like <laughs> the last from season halfway through season one on and then we yeah we tried to go to the finale of your season and we waited in line waited in line waited in line waited in line we ended up not getting into the actual venue we had to do a a remote venue but then we did go see the one day taping that was at the dolby center uh the one day taping that you guys came back and sang for we saw you guys we were going down an escalator as you guys are going up an escalator and we were like, oh. all fans were like look, 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 there they are. They're, they're home free. You know, <laughs> That's that was, that was good. But uh, yeah, so we got to see some of that behind the scenes stuff, but that was just a one day. They recorded a whole thing just in that, you know, that one day thing. You guys only performed right. that one little part. Right. But, yeah, they, uh, yeah. It was interesting to see the difference in what you see when you're live there uh-huh. and what you see from television. Well, everyone always says that we're taller than we look on television. Hmm. so i'll tell you how you guys won it over it was really interesting because you you were really great because you were in the background and you don't realize until the season starts to progress that none of the really cool stuff that austin and and tim and and rob and everybody are able to do they can't really do all that without the foundation that you're laying there and i know you have a lot to do with the arranging but here's where you guys won this thing off it was when tim hit the low note at the end of ring of fire that's when everybody watching everywhere knew that these guys are going to win. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that was definitely a turning point in the show for us uh, because when we saw the reaction, we thought immediately that, oh, well, we have actually sh- we have a shot to win this whole thing. That was when we when that episode happened. I can still picture Sean Stockman's reaction when Tim hit the low note on Ring of Fire, and he just like yeah. blew back out of his chair yeah. uh, at how amazing that was. So it's pretty cool. Adam, so since uh, Sing Off, you guys have been on an international 
tour, really being able to put out a lot of albums and travel around the world. What have been some of the challenges that you've experienced in building the success of the band? Well, the truth is when you do a reality television show and let's say you're lucky enough to win it, that's actually when the real work starts. If you get the opportunity, you have a very small window where you've captured millions of people. Mm -hmm. And you have a very small window to capitalize as much as possible on that success because fame fades fast. And we knew that going into when the tape, when the show actually aired, because the tapings ended in September and then we had to keep silent about the result for three months because they didn't actually air until December. So we finished the taping. We just won the show. We had another gig coming up in South Carolina. We were performing at the South Carolina State Fair. And it was for 10 days straight. And we weren't anyone at that point. No, we were nothing. And we had to perform basically in the outside food court of the fair. There was maybe, I don't know, just a handful, like less than 20 people average per set that we did. We had to do like three sets a day. And we were always competing against machines that are making food. And yeah, it was a very humbling experience knowing that we just came from all this hype and hoopla and then we get to uh, that gig and it was uh, just a total 180s flop. Anyway, and you you already knew that you had won the sing-off at this point? Yeah, like, that's the thing. We already knew we won, so we're coming off of this tremendous high and then we had to go do this gig for 10 days straight where no one knew us and nobody was listening to us and we were just kind of just up there just being just... <laughs> Just kind of shaking our heads and just like, let's just get through it. Let's just get it done. Let's just get it done. We had three months as soon as the taping ended. So we decided to push really hard to make our first album available and music video of ready to go as soon as the show aired. And so the show aired. Then we had the sing off tour happen where the show decided that they wanted to put the show on tour. Right. And figuring out logistics and how that would work. They grabbed us, Philharmonic, and Voice Play to put on a sing-off tour where we went all around the country. And that was really good because a lot of people saw us live around the whole country and helped us to start building a fan base in that way. Uh, so we had that going. We had our album ready. And then we actually kept every single gig that we had to postpone because of the show and the sing-off tour. So we did the sing-off tour, and then we had to do all these other gigs that we had already scheduled on the books, a lot of college shows that were just postponed to dates right after the sing-off tour. So we were just going nonstop, and we didn't want to cancel any shows that we, we had. We, we wanted to honor everything. So we just kept going and going and going and pushing and pushing, and we tried to just work as hard as we could to stay on top of the bubble and get as much exposure as we can and establish a system where we could build a fan base through grassroots from that point. And so that's when the YouTube channel started and we, we really just try to get music videos out and content out and keep using that as our platform because we weren't going to get on the radio and that, that's still such a long shot trying to get on the radio. And so we use YouTube as our platform to constantly turn out content and keep mm -hmm. people engaged and like relevance. It's interesting to think about that the concept you shared that there's a small window of opportunity to capitalize on something like what you guys went through that uh, fame fades fast. I once heard somebody say life comes in waves, you better learn how to surf. 
And so you had a huge wave come at you right there in December of 2013, I guess it was. And you had to be able to surf that wave throughout 2014 to be able to move the success of the band along to where you could really stand on your own uh, in in a big way. So, so it's cool to hear how how you went through that. What do you feel like have been uh, your favorite experiences of the last few years? Oh man, that's a tough call, man. Cause I mean, it's just been one crazy thing after another. Uh, just everything that happened after the sing off was more than we ever thought would happen to any of us in the group. And a, a lot of people, we often use the term lucky in our, when we're talking about this stuff. And I heard this, I can't remember where, but I've always defined lucky as when preparedness meets opportunity. And you know, having all those years of learning how to do what we do uh, really helped us in the opportunities that came after that. Because the hardest thing about being in a group is staying together. And that's, you know, you, you talk to Take Six, and that's like one of the things that they would say, you know, this legendary vocal group, and they sticking together is the hardest part. And so, there's all kinds of like trials that you have to go through to keep that going. And because we have the experience with us, we were able to keep pushing and pushing and pushing, which led to all these opportunities. And we had a great management team behind us as well, which led to these opportunities. And so everything that came about just kind of blows our mind. And it's just like one thing after the other where we just never thought this would happen. So just for examples, a lot of the collaborations that came our way, for example, Kenny Rogers, who called us while we were rehearsing a butt medley in the church. That's another story. <laughs> but the, the butt medley that we do, we actually were rehearsing in our ch- home church. And then Kenny Rogers calls us and asks us if, he wa- if we wanted to be on his Christmas album. And we're like, uh, we'll think about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let me think but, about that for a little bit. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, then the Oak Ridge Boys and then Charlie Daniels and then all these other artists that we've been able to meet and collab with. And uh, it's been just crazy to be on the stage with some of these artists doing the Grand Old Opry, performing at the Ryman in Nashville, Tennessee, like all of these amazing, iconic, historic venues that some people's dream is to just one day be able to play the Ryman, for example, play on that stage just selling out these shows. And one of the personal dreams I always had was in my hometown of Mankato, Minnesota. We have a uh, arena there. It's called a, it's a civic center is what it's called. And when we were, before we became a professional group, I was always dreaming about what would it be like to just actually play in that place, you know, and just to have all these thousands and thousands of people just there watching it. And then after the sing off, we ended up playing that venue and uh, we've played there I think four times now and we've sold it out every time. And that's such a rush to get when you walk out onto a stage and you have all these people cheering. It's, it's uh, it kind of, it's this feeling that gets in you and you just can't, once you taste that feeling, you just, you hunger for it and you just want to get to the next feeling, which is uh, a lot of fun. Hmm. But traveling the world is crazy. We never thought that we would be touring internationally and, and selling out to audiences worldwide and well just the fact that there's audiences worldwide who are fans of the group is a huge deal never thought that was going to happen there's a lot of crazy experiences <laughs> that have happened like 
I can't remember exactly when this happened, but we had to get to a national anthem performance for NASCAR at Watkins Glen, but the flight was delayed and we were going to land with only an hour to go like 30 miles on country roads to get to Watkins Glen. And so we had our manager, we're just like calling our manager, like, what are we going to do? We're not going to make it. This is like national television, right? Like they, they put this on. And so it's a huge, like, oh crap. And it was so fun because when we landed, we were the first ones off the plane and then we were rushed through the airport. And then there was a sheriff, there was a deputy, there was a, like three different police that were there with their lights ready to go. We got into a sprinter van. the sheriff said okay this is a red lights go and we were going like 60 to 70 miles an hour down country roads of like 30 mile per hour speed zones and the sirens are blaring and he's up ahead clearing the way and we're just like what is going on right now this is crazy (laughs) i've never thought i'd experience like it felt like a car chase even though we weren't chasing anybody but we were just going super fast on these roads and we're just like uh, and meanwhile we're in the van just doing vocal warm-ups and all this kind of fun stuff and it it just seems ridiculous but yeah That's sweet yeah a lot of a lot of crazy stories yeah really cool really cool well it, it's uh, as i said it's been really great to see your guys success you know as you look ahead adam how do you feel like you'd like your music to positively impact the world the best things that i hear and that i learn about fans and just people with uh, have listened to our music or seen us perform is whenever we're able to inspire someone else and whether that means uh, a kid who wants to find something to a goal that they they have or that they they see us and they, they're inspired then to become something that's probably the most rewarding thing to learn and to hear from people. And so the more that that can happen, I think at the end of the day, that's probably what drives us the most is hearing how we've inspired other people to do, get out and do follow their dreams, essentially. Yeah. Well, to hear, Adam, how you went through seven years of you know really trying to make things happen the band is more of a hobby than anything else and then kind of broke through at that point to becoming professional but not anywhere near the level you are now then you had this break but as you said preparedness met opportunity and you guys won when you had that chance and that opened up all these new doors and all kinds of success for you i think that story is really really an inspiration to a lot of people and as i've said before like i just enjoy listening to you guys as it's hard not to just smile when you're sitting there in the audience listening to you guys perform. Your music is so good, and just so refreshing and so fun that uh, you know I, I really appreciate what you guys are doing, and, and I do feel like you're you are a great inspiration to a lot of other people. So uh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. How can people find or follow you? Well, just go to YouTube and type in "Home Free." <laughs> uh, that's one way. I mean, we're on all of the forms of social media. So uh, Instagram is a great one uh, at Home Free Guys, I think is what it is. But uh, if you're on Spotify, check out our music on Spotify. Uh, just type in Home Free. Our newest album is called Dive Bar Saints. It's got ten original songs on it, and it's just uh, we love it. You know, it's uh, probably the best way to 
hear our music anyway and then come out to a show like you know go on to our socials uh, and to find out when we're going to be in your area and and come out and see see us perform live because i i will tell you it's there is a difference between i mean our studio stuff is great but when you see it live it's just a whole different i wouldn't say worse or better but it's just a different experience that really grasps you truly that is the case and i can definitely vouch for that having seen you live a couple times I can absolutely vouch for that. You got any last words, Brad? Yeah, I, I want to put in a plug for Dive Bar Saints. You know, you guys, we, we first saw you doing lots of covers, lots of covers, and I loved them. You know, they were great. And then you throw in a couple of these original songs. I'm like, yeah, those are pretty cool, but the covers are great. And then, but now you've moved forward. And Dan asked you the question about how your music, uh, you know, has impacted people in the future. You know, if you listen to the, the new stuff, the songs, there's some really poignant, really meaningful life wisdom that you guys are sharing in there and i just want to say i really appreciate a lot of that and i mean i like everything from the very beginning to the very end and uh go to a concert if you ever hear these guys are coming around town go to a concert i'll tell anybody that and hopefully we'll get you guys a lot more new fans because you guys are definitely worth being fans of thanks man i appreciate that yeah we appreciate having you on the podcast adam thanks for making the time all right thank you all right take care have a great rest of your day That was Adam Rupp of Home Free. What'd you think, Brad? Well, it was awesome. And uh, you know, I, no matter what would have come out of it, I, th- I would have thought it was awesome because I'm uh, such a big fan. But you know, I, I thought there were a lot of very interesting and great nuggets there, a lot, of, a lot of interesting things that you wouldn't know from the outside about perseverance and the trials that they've been through. Something I jotted down was when he said, fame fades fast and them understanding that window and then just trying to stay on top of it. And I think that's a good life and, and especially a business lesson. You know, we've heard the old saying, what have you done for me lately? And just because I've had success or anyone's had success in the past doesn't mean they could just sit back and do nothing. It's a, it's a constant effort, you know, to continue to stay on top, to on top of your game. And just that kind of stood out to me that anybody listening in business or in anything can take something from that fame fades fast notion. Yeah, for sure. It was pretty cool to hear how they went through seven years of building the band where it was really just a hobby. Mm -hmm. Of course, during that time is when uh, Adam sold Cutco and ultimately was able to break through to be professional and the small window of opportunity concept, as you said, and and, uh, that luck is when preparedness Mm -hmm. meets opportunity. Mm -hmm. And they spent many years putting themselves in position, building their talent, building their skills Mm -hmm. to be able to take advantage of that opportunity when the sing-off came along. Also pretty cool to hear how Adam aspires that their music will inspire Mm -hmm. others. And Mm -hmm. I know that uh, a lot of people are inspired by Home Free and what they're doing. Any last words, JBB? I would encourage anybody that doesn't know much about them to, to go on YouTube, watch some of their videos. He mentioned the butt medley. I would watch the butt medley. It's, uh, it's funny. And then uh, if you ever notice that they're going to be in concert anywhere near you, it is, uh, it is definitely one of the top ex- concert experiences that uh, you'll participate in. And so I, I encourage you to become a fan. Yeah, there's also an incredible YouTube video that's called Adam Rupp Drum Solo. Mm-hmm. Check it out. Watch the entire seven minutes because it's really gets inc- even more and more incredible mm-hmm. as it goes along. Mm-hmm. Hey, if you like the podcast, take five seconds and hit the five on your ratings right now. It does really help with spreading the word about the podcast. Write a review if you have a few seconds beyond that. We appreciate it. And in lieu of the standard outro that plays at the end of most of our episodes, we are going to end this episode with an amazing song from Home Free. This is Catch Me If You Can. 
Yes, I went too far this time I guess I made up my mind And I can't recall Drinking this much red wine On a Wednesday night Oh, catch me if you can Yeah, catch me if you can Well, I'm already gone California was never my home I'm turning dust in the desert sand Ooh, so catch me if Catch me if you can. <laughs> 